Operation Christmas Child is a great, a great ministry. We're glad to be a part of it. Uh, each shoebox will be delivered to a kid who would not normally get a Christmas present. And along with the Christmas present uh, is the message of Jesus and how he forgives sins and changes lives. Uh, our shoeboxes are due today and at the very latest Wednesday. We have a church goal of 300 shoeboxes this year. It's not too late for you to take a box today and bring them back tomorrow or Tuesday or at the latest Wednesday. All right? It's time now for our Philippians 1-6 testimony. So I'm going to ask Ms. Jessica Weaver if she would come up. Come on up, Jessica. This is an opportunity for us to uh, uh, tell our story and how God's working in our lives and also an opportunity for uh, you all to get to know our church people a little bit better. So today we have Jessica coming. Jessica, thank you for being uh, willing to. This verse, Philippians 1.6, is one of our favorites. It says, I am confident of this very thing, that the God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And here's what that means. That means that, that God starts working in us, and he doesn't quit. And he keeps that work going until he's done. And this is why that's encouraging. That means that for every one of you who are really trusting in Christ, that you're a work in progress. You shouldn't be totally defeated that you've quit, and yet you should be hopeful that God is still working. And that's who we are. We, we need to be the first to admit that we're not the best people in town, but we need to be the first to admit also that God is working in us. He forgives us of our sins, and he builds us up in faith. And, and, and Paul wrote that verse to the church, and so through this testimony, we hope that you feel that about yourself and see that in Jessica. So Jessica, thank you. Let me ask you first, how did you come to know Christ? Well, I, my story kind of begins when I was 20 years old. Um, I moved to Bowling Green, Kentucky, where I attended Western Kentucky. Um, and there, I just had a friend who faithfully invited me to a campus ministry. Um, and I went finally to one, and I just met a lot of great people, which led me to a local church in that community. Um, the pastor of that church sought me out, invited me to lunch, and there he just laid out the gospel, and that was the first time that I've ever heard that, you know, man sinned. Um, because of that, our relationship with Christ, or with God, was separated, but that Christ restores that relationship. Um, so I took that all in. That was a lot for me to really comprehend and understand, but I didn't stop. I kept going to church, um, and I finally, uh, the Holy Spirit just convicted me of my sins, and I understood grace. And I follow Jesus. Wow. Pretty simple, it seems, sometimes. A 20-year-old has a friend, invites her to church, and she has not been to church, and she goes to church, and she hears the message. And, and in many ways, the rest is history. If you have a friend that has not been to church, consider inviting them. You hear how that works. Well, we're, we're thankful for that friend uh, and that she invited you. That, that, that's great. Okay, so that was in college. We're not going to ask you how old you are, but it's been a few years, let's say that, uh, that you've been a believer and so as you look back over your Christian life since then at Western, uh, what do you see as a, a point, a moment, or a way that God grew you? Um, I think because um, there was just a season of my life where I wanted to seek out um, older women to kind of give me an example of what a godly woman really looks like. Um, so I joined a Bible study in my church um, in Elizabethtown while I was there, and I was by far the youngest in there. Um, women just taught me what it was to be a godly wife and to be a godly teacher and just be godly all around, um, which was awesome. And I also attended Seminary Wives at Southern, um, and that's just a program where 
professors' wives will teach classes. Um, so they're, you know, those professors' wives just kind of shaped me in my theology as what it was to be a woman of God and to really um, not be afraid of thinking about what I'm reading while I'm reading scripture. And um, mm. so I think that those grew me just yeah. all around as a Christian. Mm. That's good. Mm-hmm. It's important for us to be humble enough to admit that we need older people in our lives who are more seasoned and more mature than us, and we're, we're thankful that, that, that you had found that. Yeah, okay. Well, what about now? Okay, here, 2016, November, how's God growing you now? Well, in this season of my life where I'm still kind of that newlywed and <laughs> I'm teaching, um, God has really just been revealing sins in my life. Um, and with your awesome sermons, I have been convicted to the core, honestly. Um, but it's beautiful in a sense because God's taking this heart of stone and he's chiseling it piece by piece. And um, he's helping me realize that, yes, I sin and I mess up, um, but there's grace for me just like there was four years ago. Um, so I, it's just me um, yeah. fully trusting in him to, uh, you know, lead yeah. me to um, being Christ-like. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So God is just working mightily in you now. Good. That's a, that's a good answer. That's a really good answer. Uh, let me ask you a question. What school do you teach at? Shepherdsville Elementary. Shepherdsville Elementary. Bullock County. County. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Amen. Church, join me as we pray for Jessica. God in heaven, we thank you so much for Jessica. God, we thank you that uh, some years ago she had a friend invite her to church where she could hear about you, and, and you began that work, and you've changed her life. God, we're, we're believing your word that what you started in her, you're going to finish, and we see her in that process now. God, I pray that I'd be a good pastor and that we would be a good church to her, helping her uh, thrive in her walk with you. God, we pray your blessings upon Jessica. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Jessica. You're good. All right, Mark chapter 7. We come now to the main event, the Word of God. Mark chapter 7. If you didn't bring a Bible, we ask you to use the Pew Bible there. The the black Bible's there in the Pew. It'd be page 927. Last week, I, I really did, I felt like I preached my heart out because our passage brought us to talking about diversity, and people from different places and how we are to treat them and love them and how God feels about them. And I, I did, if you weren't here last week, I would love for you to go check that sermon out. It's on our church website. But I introduced that Jesus has taken a, a break from his Jewish ministry because he came first to the Jews And he ends up in this place where there are Gentiles, people who are not Jews, people that don't know the Bible, and he leads them to trust in him. In our passage today, it moves right along, but it's the same thing. We've kind of got three passages in a row here at the end of Mark 7 and in Mark 8 where Jesus has taken a break from the Jews and now he's coming to the Gentiles. It's fascinating for us because, let me remind you, we are not Jews. We are the Gentiles. Read with me, if you will, at Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 31. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. 
And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. The more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The people were taken back. One, that Jesus was okay with hanging around with this man who seemed to be an outcast. But they were also taken back that Jesus made him talk. He had never talked before, and Jesus made him talk. If you're like me, you probably have some people in your lives that talk too much. They seem to always be talking, and once they start talking, it's kind of hard to get away from them talking. You know, we don't like it when we have people that talk too much for whatever reason. But then, as much as we'd say we don't like it, we really do like it, don't we? They're fun to be around, and you always get their opinion. And you know what we kind of don't like a little bit more than the person that talks a lot? is the person that never talks. You got anybody like that in your family? You don't know what they're thinking. You don't know what their opinion is. They never say a word. Have you ever heard your mom and dad fight, or your grandparents, or some people in the family say, he he never says anything. Don't know what he's thinking. Don't know how he feels about it. He never talks. And for as much as we don't like somebody that talks all the time, we we really don't like the person that never talks. Just completely quiet. It seems seems to bother us. I mean, both bother us, but one seems to a little bit more. I want to tell you here today that God's people are to be a talking people. This notion that we might accomplish what God has called us to do without speaking is totally false, people. We have to be a speaking people. Now, I hope that you don't talk so much that you never listen. You become a better communicator when you become a better listener. I think you know that. If your marriage hasn't learned that yet, then just take some marriage tips. Be a better listener than a better talker in marriage, and marriage will be better. But the church, God's people, must be those that talk. God has spoken And God has asked his people to speak what he has spoken. Just listen to these passages in scripture. Psalm 96.3, declare his glory among the nations. Declare his marvelous works among all the peoples. Psalm 96.10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Tell it to the world that God reigns. What about Psalm 78, which I, which I point y'all to all the time, because it's, it's not just talking about God's people talking to people, it's talking about fathers talking to their sons. It gets me every time. I will open my mouth in a parable, I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, things that our fathers have told us. Listen to this, Psalm 78 verse 4, we will not hide them 
from our children. But we will tell them to the coming generation. Tell them the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. We will tell our children what God has done. Psalm 78 verse 4. Or what about this one? Much different. In John chapter 4, Jesus finds himself tired and sitting at a well and, and thirsty. And the lady that shows up has many husbands. And it's not a desirable position to be known about by a stranger in public about your adulterous life. That would be uncomfortable for every one of us. And Jesus knows this about her. And contrary to what maybe many common day Christians have how they would speak or treat her, Jesus treats her so good. He loves her and helps her. And after Jesus has spoken to this adulterous woman, she leaves Jesus, chapter 4 of John, and this happens. So the woman left her water jar there, didn't even care to take her jar with her, and went away into town and said to the people, Come with me. See a man who's told me all that I ever did. Notice that all that she ever did is not too much of a good thing. And so it is for the people of God that their shame and guilt has been removed once it's been forgiven. We don't have our past to hide. We have a Savior that we elevate, that we proclaim in the midst of our past. Hey, yes, you're right. I did do that. I did used to do that. I did be that way. Yes, this is true about me, but God loves me and God has forgiven me. He sat down with me at the well. He knows all the men that I've been with. He's forgiven me of every bit of it. Will you come and see? He'll tell you all that I've done too. He loves me still in the middle of it. She says, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? It says she left and went and told everybody about it. We turn back to the Gospel of Mark, and you go back just two chapters. We're in chapter 7 right now. And in chapter 5, you have this man who was possessed by a demon, right? And it was all of this power and it's the one where Jesus cast the demon out of him and, and the, demon went into the, pig, the demons went into the pigs. After that, chapter 5, verse 20, the man went away. The demon-possessed man who's now been healed by Jesus, the man went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis, same city. Decapolis mentioned one time in Mark chapter 5. It's mentioned a second time here in Mark chapter 7. He went away to the Decapolis and began to proclaim how much Jesus had done for him. And everybody marveled at it. The man that nobody liked, the man that nobody could talk to, the man that the chains could not stop, had left Jesus, changed by Jesus, and is now in the Decapolis, a Gentile area, and is speaking about what Jesus has done to him. I'm wanting you to see that Old Testament, New Testament, Gospels, no matter where we're at, we are seeing that God's people are a speaking people. Perhaps the best of all is Peter and John early in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 18. So they called them, and listen, and the authorities charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 19. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right... In the sight of God, to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. Verse 20, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. The early church in the book of Acts, led by the disciples, here Peter and John, their response to do not talk anymore is, we cannot stop speaking about what we know about Jesus. We cannot. 
This is the church. Psalm 96, Psalm 78, John 4, Mark 5, Acts 4, just to name a few. Christian people are a speaking people. We are speaking about all that we know about God, about his great love for us, how he loves to forgive people of their sins, and how he has truly changed our hearts on the inside filled us up with love and hope and peace and comfort and all of that good stuff that comes from God, we cannot stop speaking about that. We are a talking people, and for the glory of God, we must be a talking people. This is why our church's mission statement is very intentional and very purposeful and very precise. We just came up with this mission statement about five years ago. It's on the front of your bulletin there. Our mission statement says that this church, we exist To proclaim Jesus while loving and serving both God and people. We want everybody we know, everybody we come in contact with, everybody that lives in Fairdale to feel loved and served by us. That's our mission. We want God to be loved and served by us too. But while we are loving and serving, we want to be speaking, proclaiming Jesus, who he is and what he's done. We want people to hear that from us. It's not enough to just love and serve. Our mission statement would have been way off and unbiblical if our mission statement was, we exist to love and serve both God and people. Hear me, it would have been off, but it would have been unbiblical because Christians are to be a speaking people. We exist to speak about Jesus while we love and serve both God and people. And in our passage today, it's not as much just a, a spiritual problem of why, they're not, of why they're not speaking about Jesus, but it is uh, a physical problem. He cannot speak about God. But when God changes his heart and gives him the ability to speak, he then will speak about God. Let's walk through the passage, and then I want to, here in the second half of the message, give you all three reasons why we don't speak about Jesus. Three reasons why we don't speak about Jesus, but let's begin. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. So he's leaving Tyre and Sidon. If you look back to last week's message, verse 24, it says, From there he rose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So according to Mark, Jesus had just left where he was, traveled to Tyre and Sidon, which is really neat because it's there, listen, it's there that he met that Syrophoenician Gentile woman, right? I'm so thankful that he met somebody from Syria, right? We're thinking a lot about these people who are refugees from Syria, and I I love those people, and I want you to love those people as well. And here, Jesus goes to Tyre and Sidon and just to to just encounter this person. And our very next passage says, okay, he left there. And he ends up in the place now called Decapolis. This is only the second time in the Gospel of Mark that Decapolis is mentioned. The first time, I told you, is in Mark chapter 5, where he encounters the man who is demon-possessed. And he's so strong that chains can't even hold him. He is like out of control. This incredible Hulk-type strength that is just going on in him. And Jesus is not afraid of him. Jesus is not weaker than him. Jesus walks up to him. The powerful man is scared of Jesus because Jesus is God. Everybody bows down to God. And Jesus says... Get out of him. And they run. And the man was in his right mind. Do you remember when it said that? He was in his right mind. Jesus had changed his life. He was naked and he went and found clothes. And everything changed. 
And so he went into the Decapolis. He was out of town. He goes into town, the Decapolis, and starts telling everybody about Jesus. If these passages in Mark chapter 7 are about Jesus showing us that he's not just for a certain type of people, he is for all people, and that's why he's at the Gentiles for just a few scenes right here in Mark 7. If that's what this is for, then you and I, remembering what happened in Mark chapter 5 about the demon-possessed man, now clothed and in his right mind, now going to the Decapolis and preaching Jesus, shows us that the very first Gentile missionary in the Gospel of Mark was a good one, right? Because this man who went to the Decapolis and told them about Jesus is now Jesus is here and people are bringing people to him. See, you're familiar with people bringing, him, bringing, people, bringing people to Jesus. It says that like all the time. But remember, those are all Jewish places. That of course, everybody was looking for, for God and for a Savior among the Jews. But this is among the Gentiles, people that don't know God. So why were they bringing people to Jesus? That's different. That's different. Perhaps because the demon-possessed man in chapter 5 had been so changed that when he came back, everybody's like, you? You're talking about God? Yes, that man did it. And so when that man got to the Decapolis two chapters later in our book, people are now bringing other people to him. This is really common. Look what it says. Verse 32, they brought to him a man... who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. See, they they brought the man to Jesus. Again, a Gentile area. These aren't people who've been sitting around their whole lives hearing their parents teach them that God has a Savior and he's coming. That's what Jews do. One day God is going to send a Savior. One day God is going to send a Savior. If you don't have a Bible and you don't believe in God, you're not teaching your children that. So this is different. Something has happened that caused... Something has happened that caused this, these people to say, oh, Jesus is in town. We heard that Jesus is in town. We've got to take this deaf man, this mute man, we've got to take him to him. Verse 33. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. Interesting that Jesus would do this. There's a lot of different reasons why. Instead of Jesus right there in front of the whole crowd and all the people saying, talk, ears be opened. Ephaphtha, that word he says, he doesn't. And he pulls him aside. He doesn't want everybody else to see it. It's it's interesting that Jesus would do that because we almost always think Jesus' message is to be spread. Tell everybody, right? But Jesus in the Gospels waits on that, waits on that, waits on that. I've talked about this many sermons before. In chapter 1, Jesus told them, don't go tell anybody. There are many times in the Gospels where Jesus says, don't go tell anybody. And the big reason why I want you to know why that happens is because Jesus' main message is not that he heals. Jesus' main message is not that God heals but it is that God died to save you. We're not here to just reflect God with loving and serving. We are here to reflect God with loving and serving while we tell people that God killed his son so that he would not kill you. 
Jesus died on the cross. And as Jesus' fame grew, his ministry was hindered, and it was more and more complicated for him to do what he was supposed to do. So often, before the cross, it is, don't tell anybody, keep it down. Don't tell anybody, keep it down. Now, the beautiful thing about the Word of God and the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament is once Christ is dead and buried and risen from the grave, it is open the doors, get on the rooftops, go to the mountains, and preach the gospel. There is no hindering God's message once Jesus had died and buried and risen again. That changed everything. But before then, he was often trying to keep it down, keep it down, keep it down. And here again, he takes this guy away so that everybody can't see it. And he does what he does many times. He touches his ears, he spits in his mud, he touches his mouth. Verse 34, and looking up to heaven, Jesus would often show his allegiance to his father, who he is equal with, would look up to heaven. He sighed and said to him, if uh, that is, be opened. Verse 35, and his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Remarkable, right? Is it that easy? Some of y'all are here today with your hearing aids in. And without those, you can't hear hardly anything. And if it was an easy fix, then you wouldn't have spent all that money on hearing aids because they're expensive. And if it was an easy fix, then you would have already asked somebody to come over here and say, If I thought while I spit on your tongue, it's not that easy. I don't know if you know anybody that's deaf. But I know you wish that they could talk. It's not easy to fix that. We might say that humanly speaking, it's impossible to fix that. But I know that you believe that God could fix that. And here we have a passage in God's word where he does. And I want you to see how how simple and effortless it is. Jesus didn't say, come to my clinic and let me hook you up to all these machines and let's run a couple tests. Let's see why it's not working. You know, it could be this or it could be that. There's there's several reasons why it might not be. It could be this. It could be deep down in there. It could just be on the outside. It could just be some buildup of earwax. I mean, it could be all of this different stuff. No. Jesus didn't need this guy to come to his clinic and do some x-rays and all of that. Jesus needed to do whatever he was pleased to do. He looks up to heaven. He says, be open. And his ears opened and his tongue was fixed and he spoke plainly. I want you to see in our passage today that Jesus is God. Jesus is our maker. Jesus is the king. Jesus can do whatever he wants to do. And I want to encourage you to here today, and I want to push you here today, that you right now, beginning today, beginning right now in November, that you would bow your heart, your life, your everything down to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the king of heaven, who is the king of earth, who reigns forever, and who is God. And that you would bow down to him. I want you to know that not only is he the reigning king, but he's a unique king. And that instead of lording his reign over people, he gets below people and dies for them 
and washes feet and cares for everybody. I want you to feel loved and supported by Jesus and then hear that Jesus died for you. I want you to be convicted of your sins and be honest enough to admit that you sin, that you sin and that you've been wrong and then believe in God's love that Jesus died on the cross to save you. I want you to see in this story of Jesus healing the, 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 the deaf and mute man and, and realize that you may not be deaf and mute but that you've got your own issues and realize that Jesus comes to you as well and that he will heal you from the inside out. After the man is healed and speaks plainly in verse 36, Jesus charged them to tell no one like he often does. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were zealous. They were proclaiming people. Verse 37, they were astonished beyond measure, saying he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Only God can do that. And the reason why they are astonished beyond measure, not kind of astonished, astonished to a level you can't really put a measurement on, is because they had seen in their every little day-to-day life, God work. They're taken back. He's done all things well. They have seen that Jesus is truly God. And it impacted them. So I'm bringing this back to how we are to be a speaking people. And looking at this passage, now I want to give you here at the end three reasons why we don't speak about Jesus. Now, I hope it comes out in my three points, but let me go ahead and say what I'm, what I'm wanting you to look for here at the beginning. One, perhaps the reason why you don't speak about Jesus is because you, you're not really a Christian. And let's all be honest about that this morning. There's nothing beneficial in any of us leaving today still trying to convince ourselves we're all right with God if we're not right with God. On the other hand, you, you may be a Christian. And there's just a problem with you and why you don't ever talk about Jesus. And if that's the case, may you repent of that. And may you today ask God to forgive you and be encouraged to speak about him. Three reasons why we don't speak about Jesus. Number one, we have no hearing or understanding. Now, in this passage, this man literally could not hear or speak, okay? He, he could not understand. But in our lives, perhaps we're, we're thinking that we're Christians, but we, we don't really hear the truth, and so the truth doesn't move us. We, we come to church, or we've been to church, and, and yet we hear a message, but it somehow doesn't work in us. Other people seem to get things out of it, right? Jessica just stood up here and said, and I appreciate the shout-out, Jessica, but Jessica just stood up here and said that every week the sermons are doing something to her, right? Every week the sermons are doing something to me. But for some of us, the sermons aren't doing jack. Nothing's changing. You're not bothered by your sins. You walked in here today being that old self, and you walk right back out, and nothing changes. You, you, you don't hear. You don't understand. Look back at chapter 7, verse 14. This is fascinating when you see this happening. Look at chapter 7, verse 14, right? Jesus 
is dealing with these Jews who are arguing over whether you have to wash your hands before you eat or not wash your hands before you eat. I mean, how ridiculous can religious people get sometimes, okay? I don't care if you wash your hands at all. Churches should not be known by these little silly things that they bicker over. Stop being that way. These guys are arguing over whether you wash hands or not. And Jesus comes up in chapter 7, verse 14, says, Listen here, guys. Hear me all of you, and understand. And then he gives them a parable that says, it don't have anything to do with your hands, the dirt on your hands. It has everything to do with the dirt in your heart. Jesus preaches awesome sermons where he says, I don't care how much soap or hand sanitizer you've been using, you need a sanitizer for your heart, and you can't find it anywhere but in the work of Jesus on the cross. The only thing that will change your heart and change you from the inside out is an all-out surrender to what Jesus has done on the cross. That's it. And he says it in verse 14 like this, Hear me, all of you, and understand. And then here in Decapolis, we have a man hearing and understanding, and he comes out speaking plainly, and everybody's praising God. This is Jesus. He is God. He does all things well. We're astonished. Well, what do you mean you're astonished? He made him talk. He made him hear. He changed his life. Well, didn't you know God could do that? Well, well, we did, but we, we didn't in this way. I mean, now we do. We did, but now we do. What changed? You started hearing and understanding that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. One reason we don't speak about Jesus is because we don't hear and understand. Many say or think that they're Christians, but in all honesty, they aren't. We don't say anything about Jesus, listen to me, because, and this is going to be a big ouch to many of us, we don't have anything to say about Jesus. It's certainly boring and hypocritical to be out there to be a Bible thumper. We all know that. But it's pretty awesome when you hear from experience, whether y'all know Jessica or not, y'all liked listening to her, right? Because that's her story. Well, everybody likes hearing your story. I went to the hospital this, this week to visit the, the boys that were in the car accident, the Fairdale High School soccer students. My heart's heavy because our church has been feeding the Fairdale High School soccer team this season. They've been here in the church. We've got a big team picture downstairs on the wall. Three of those guys are in the hospital right now. Two in very, very critical condition fighting for their lives. One boy is, is from Africa and is a Muslim. And I love that guy. I love sitting there with his mom and dad and sister and brothers there in the hospital waiting room talking with them. I love their story. I love where they're from. I loved asking, why, why do one of y'all have a real strong accent and the other has no accent at all? One of them's English is just crystal clear. You wouldn't even be able to tell he's from anywhere else. I love talking to them about that. I love talking to them about whether they, they want me to pray or not. You know, I'm a Christian. I'm here for y'all. I love y'all no matter what. Would you like for me to pray? I loved hearing how some of them wanted me to pray and some of them didn't want me to pray. But we love people's story, don't we? Nobody's going to be mad if you say, God's changed your life. And yet with all of that, knowing that we love the story, the real honesty, y'all, some of y'all don't have a story to tell. Haven't you heard somebody say before? Oh, I, I don't know what I would say. 
I've asked people, you want, you want to come up here? Now, if you can't come up here because you're nervous or don't like speaking in front of people, that's all good. But when you say to me, I don't, I don't know what I would say, Josh. I might say, okay, but I'll walk back to my office like this. What do you mean? I'd imagine that the demoniac in Mark chapter 5 that's been living out there with the pigs under chains naked for all this time isn't very good at public speaking either. He'd certainly never taken a class in college on speech. But he immediately went back into town. I'd imagine that the lady who had five husbands wasn't the one to go and walk around town and tell everybody how nice her life was. But she went right back in there and told everybody, unashamed of Jesus. One reason we don't speak about him is because we have no hearing and understanding about who he really is. He's a life changer. And if he's changed your life, it's easy to say he's changed my life. If he's forgiven your sins, it's easy to say he's forgiven my sins. Listen, speaking about Jesus is not speaking about you, it's speaking about Jesus. It is kind of hard to talk about yourself at times. And I'm glad that you don't want to talk about yourself. But let me remind you yet again that a Christian testimony is not about what you've done, it's about what Jesus has done. And we all can do that. May you be convicted here today whether you have hearing and understanding or not. And may you turn to him. May it be your prayer here today at the end of the service. Oh God, help me understand you. God, change my life today that I would understand that life's about you, not about me. Number one, we don't speak about Jesus because we have no hearing or understanding. Number two, we don't speak about Jesus because there is no zeal or astonishment. And I, I hate this point, and I hate that I even have to make this point, because it's, it's, it's by default admitting that there's a problem with us. And I hate that. Why were they speaking? It tells us very clearly. Look at verse 36. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. There was a zeal in them producing proclamation. And what's fascinating is that they're proclaiming Jesus. But Jesus is telling them to don't proclaim it. So something about what Jesus had just done inside of them is so creating zeal that even when he tells them not to do it, they can't stop doing it. Remember Acts chapter 4, Peter and John? Whether it's right or not in the sight of God to obey you instead of God, man, that's between you guys. But we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. There is this zeal happening. I can't tell you how many people this week Okay, I can't tell you how many people this week I've spoken to and reminded them of that testimony that we heard last Sunday, right? Renardo Foster's testimony. And how a pro football player who's 6'7", 320, sits down on an airplane and a little white country preacher from Kentucky sits down beside of him and interrupts his conversation and asks him about how are you spiritually, ask him about his sins in his life, and ask him about do you have a relationship with God, and he's all bothered and upset and convicted now, and when they get off the plane, the preacher says, here's my card, if you want to get back together, we get to Kentucky, let me buy you some coffee, we'll talk more about it, and this pro football player calls up the, again, the little country preacher and says, we've got to keep talking. 
And they go to a coffee shop, and he is changed and becomes a believer in Jesus because of that. The zeal and astonishment going on in that, that, that preacher's life was enough to overcome that this man's three times as big as me, enough to overcome that we're not the same race, enough to overcome any hurdles, and he talked about Jesus. And God used it. But if you have no zeal or astonishment, the word of God has never kind of shaken you up. The testimonies that we hear from week to week are not identifying with you. The heaviness that I feel knowing, listen to me, I have preached, I have spoken and preached to the soccer players that are in the hospital right now fighting for their lives and they can't hear me now. I stood there bedside on Friday holding their hand and saying, shebang, 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 and he, he can't. Nathan, 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 he's not responding. But I've preached Jesus to them just like two weeks ago. These people matter to us, but there's a zeal and astonishment about Jesus that makes me want to go to the hospital. You understand? It says here in verse 36 that Jesus said, don't tell anybody, but because of the zeal inside of them, because of the astonishment beyond measure, they couldn't help it. Are you that far from God? Is your heart hard now or calloused? What's happened? I didn't realize that there were so many Cubs fans in Louisville. They usually don't win, so we don't hear from them much. But all of a sudden, I'm realizing that if you grew up over the last 50 or 108 years here in Louisville, the only TV station there was was WGN. And so before cable was all over the place, you had ESPN, everybody in Louisville watched Cubs games. And so there's all these Cubs fans. I love that story, but I didn't know it. But over the last couple months, I've been hearing about it and hearing about it and hearing about it. I asked myself, why in the world is Fairdale Pizza having their own little Cubs watch party? This is Fairdale. We don't care about the Cubs here. I was wrong, right? The, the astonishment that the 108-year-old curse is about to be overcome is something that people are going to speak about. It happens, right? When something comes into your life that is so awesome, so I can't stop thinking about it. So impressive, so exciting, so, so good, so real, so impactful. You share it. In Romans chapter 12, verse 11, Paul writes, Church, don't be slothful in zeal. The very word here, zeal, zealous. Zeal is, man, I love this, I'm so excited about it. Slothful is you're like a slug. When it comes to being a Christian, a follower of God, a child of God, we are to be zealous, astonished at his love for us. Y'all, the Bible teaches that there is not anything you could have done to remove yourself from the love of God. If you came here today and you've got five wives or five husbands, right? 
you have not gotten yourself outside of the love of God. We've got a story in John 4 where that very thing happened. If you came here today and you're under addiction so very much that you slept outside last night in the woods, naked, under chains, with the pigs, it's just another day in the life of our Lord Jesus. He loves you. I'm zealous about it. I'm astonished that he loves me or that he loves you, even in our sins, and that he died for us. If you've lost that zeal or that astonishment, no wonder you don't speak about Jesus, but may, by the grace of God, God bring us back to it today. Number three, we have the wrong idea of what is good. One reason that we do not speak about Jesus is that we've got the wrong idea of what is good. Here it says in verse 37 at the very end, they say he's done all things well. Sometimes our perspective is so diluted that we don't know what we think is good anymore. Did you have a good day? Is life going good? Is this a good country? Is, is that a good school down the road? Is that a good place to eat? Is this a good neighborhood for you to live in? Are these kids good? Are your kids good? What about those kids? How do you gauge what you're calling is good? And may God bring us back to having a good, healthy view of what is good and what is right and what is true. May we never be the people to call evil good. And may we never be the people to call good evil. May we understand that God is good and we understand goodness in light of who God is. He has explained to us what life is like, what we are to value in life, what we're not to value in life, how we are to hate our sins and how we are to love what is good and think about those things. All the commentaries pointed us to this parallel. Do you remember in, G in Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter of the Bible, where, G where God creates everything, and after each day he says it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And then after the sixth and final day, what's it say? It was very good, right? Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, behold, it was very good. They say there's a connection here that after Jesus had done this, he'd made a man who never heard, never spoke, he makes him hear and speak. Their response is, he's done it all good, all well. To which Edward says, it is a further instance of Jesus fulfilling the role of God. The son's work in redemption is like the father's work in creation. It is done well, and it leaves nothing to be desired. He goes on to say, listen to this. In touching the man, Jesus repeats his radical identification with needy and sometimes ritually unclean people. God is a good God. And his son is showing us that he loves to get up in people's lives and change them. And I pray that here today you would be trusting in Christ and so be changed by it. And may we be those who will speak about Jesus because we know him in a real way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Mark chapter 7, 31 to 37 and how we see, God, that Jesus loves people. Last week it was the Syrophoenician woman. Here it's the... Gentile, deaf, and mute man. 
God, I love that about you. You are that type of God. Nobody's too far away, and God, we believe that. God, thank you that I was not too far away, and you've changed my life, and thank you that Jessica was not too far away, and you've changed her life, as we heard today. Oh, God, make our church in this community a place that helps people find you. And God, I pray you'd convict us for why we're not speaking about you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.